Christmas season is over too early, isn't it? Uh, I love the Christmas hymns, and it seems like we just get to do them for a week or two, and then they're gone. So anyhow, I'm going to enjoy the rest of this service today anyhow.
She sat by the fireside till her eyes became too heavy, and she wandered off in dreams with elves at play. Daddy found her sleeping, and he took her up to bed, where she would spend the night in Santa's flying sleigh. Christmas was a whisper in her ear, sounds that only children's hearts can hear. Little one, in the morning when you waken, you'll find your every dream has taken form. There'll be joy. Christmas Day will come to life because of you, for you are love, little one. Mary lay and pondered till her eyes became too heavy, and she finally found the rest she had struggled for. Joseph sat in silence. And watched the baby sleeping, and wondered what the future held in store. Angel voices whispered in his ear. Reaching down, he drew the baby near. Little one, in the morning when you wake up. The world will find that God has taken form. There'll be joy, and the earth will have new life because of you. For you are love, little one, little one. In the morning when you waken, the world will find that God has taken form. And the earth will have new life because of you, for you are love, little one. Because of you, for you are love, little one. Oh, because of you, for you are love, little Here we are in a sunny December, two days away, three days away from Christmas, I guess, and, uh, and sweating in church. So praise the Lord anyway. All right. Well, we've been talking about uh, the Beatitudes, and we're coming, winding down on the Beatitudes. So we're going to look at uh, the next Beatitude today. This one fits well with uh, the day that this is being the Sunday before Christmas. We're going to talk about blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. So let's read uh, Matthew chapter 5, beginning verse 2. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And then blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Matthew 5, 2 through 12. And today we're going to talk about this idea of peacemaking. And this is an interesting word. We hear the word peace a lot throughout Scripture, but this particular word for peacemaking is only used once in the Scripture of this idea of peacemaking. And the idea that we often think of when we think of peacemakers is one who is uh, just peaceful and they avoid confrontation, they avoid fights. But this idea is more someone who actively goes out and tries to reconcile people who are at odds with one another. In particular, and we'll see this in the passages that we're going to look at this morning, but Christ is the ultimate peacemaker because he came to reconcile us to God. When he made the journey to earth and he was born in that manger, he was on a mission and it was to bring peace between a man and God. Our sins had separated us. Our sins had become a, a, a wall of separation between us and God. And something had to bring us back together with God and Jesus was that. And we're going to see also that not only was Jesus the ultimate peacemaker, but he's called us to a ministry of being peacemakers. That our job, our mission in life, if you will, is that when we leave this place, that we're to find all those that we can who are at odds with God, and ultimately our job is to bring them into reconciliation with God, to bring them to a place of peace with God. Jesus kind of gave some examples of peacemaking here in Matthew chapter 5. If we were to drop down to verses 43 through 48, he tells this short little teaching. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Doesn't that sound an awful lot like the beatitude? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And so he reminds them, you've heard that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's generally the way things are. But he says, I tell you, you should love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And he gives us there a couple of illustrations of this idea of peacemaking. And the first one is this, is that we're not just to love people who love us, we're to love those who hate us. And that's a little bit difficult. Is That's where we get on our knees and start praying, God, help me love this person, right? We've all got those types of people. Some of you live with those people, right? <laughs> and we pray and we say, God, help me, you know. How am I going to love this person? Yeah. If you don't know anybody, let me know. I'll, I'll hook you up with someone, all right? <laughs> That's this idea of peacemaking. It's not being content to have this hatred and this bitterness. They're not just saying, hey, I hate this person, therefore I'm avoiding them, I'm having nothing to do with them, but to pray for them, actually. We, we do everything but pray for them, don't we? We talk about them, and we avoid them, and we do all these things. But he says, hey, peacemakers pray for their enemies. Pray, and just to make things clear, he's not saying, God, break their leg, nothing... <laughs> This prayer is a a prayer of goodwill. This prayer is God bless them. God turn their hearts. God uh, give them peace. 
was talking to someone the other day, and we were talking about a, a situation they were involved in, and, and there was a lot of animosity, and there was a lot of bad things going on. And one of my favorite quotes John Maxwell has said, and I think he probably robbed that from someone else, is he says, hurting people hurt people. And that really is the truth, that many times the people that we run into that are so hateful, it's because deep in their hearts they're hurting. The people that will do the the meanest things to us, it's because they've been hurt and they're hurting. And and maybe when we begin to pray for those individuals and say, God, I don't know what's going on in their life. God, I don't know why they're so hateful and I don't know why they've got this chip on their shoulder. I don't know why they can be this way, but God, you do. God, all I know is something must be going on in there for them to lash out like that. So he gives us this example of peacemaking. And then he gives a second one in this same passage. He says about greeting those. He says, for if you love those who, you, who, who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And he says, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? He gives this idea of this greeting, this salute that, you know, we might give it, you know, the howdy thing, the handshake. And, and if all that we do is come to church and Hey, how you doing? Well, you know, that's great, but we're all pretty friendly here. He says, what do you do out there? What do you do with the neighbor who who maybe is cantankerous or grouchy? What do we teach the kids? The kids out here, they'll play ball in the the grass at junior church time or Wednesday night sometimes, and inevitably we go through balls like crazy because they'll kick them over fences. And, you know, they got these stories. Kids create stories. And, oh, the lady over there, she'll eat you if you go get that ball. And and so they make Brother Carl, the deacon, go. And and the rest of us pray, please let him eat Brother Carl, you know. But we make these stories. But what do we do for the ones that, that aren't so friendly? Do we greet them also? Do we care about them? Do we offer a handshake to them or a a blessing upon them? And and so Christ gave us a couple examples of being peacemakers right there in the passage. And by the way, when he talks about praying for them, if you go just one chapter further in Matthew, he gives the example of what to pray for them when he gives the model prayer. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in other words, he's praying, God, let things be well here. Let things be peaceful here. In today's message, I want to, again, just really stress that Christ is the ultimate peacemaker. In fact, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, I want to read to you uh, a portion of the Christmas story. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This uh, This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each of his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. In that passage, that Christmas passage, the story of Jesus' entry into this life, we find him coming as a peacemaker, don't we? In fact, it's interesting that in one portion of the passage, he says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And the gospel is for everyone. The good news is for all of us, whether we're young or old, rich or poor, white or black. It doesn't matter. It is for everyone, isn't it? It's for uh, free will Baptists and it's for Pentecostals. It's for Nazarenes. It's for everyone. The gospel is for all men, he says. But in the very next passage, he says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The gospel comes for all men, but the peace only comes for those who find themselves in this relationship with God. In other words, there's more the fact that Jesus came for all of us. We have to come to a place where I have a personal relationship with God before I can experience the peace that he's talking about here. The peace is only for those who allow Jesus Christ to reconcile them to the Father. But that's why Christ came, to bring us into this right relationship with him. And what a night that must have been. And really, when you think about the world that existed that day, it was not a world filled with peace as we would think of peace. There was a war, and there was threatenings of war, and there was an oppressive government, and there was taxing going on. And, and just a few short years later, I mean, Herod is having all the babies under a certain age killed, trying to wipe out. This was a crazy time. And yet, in the midst of all this, in the midst of darkness, at just the right time, Jesus Christ came. And the angel said, this is great news for everyone. And it is peace for those who find their way into a right relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we misinterpret what peace really is. You know, I'll never forget dealing, I've dealt with all kinds of folks, amen, you can imagine in ministry, and you've been around folks, but sometimes we deal with people that don't have an understanding of what real peace is. And uh, I remember we used to do men's and women's retreats. And Kathy would usually take the ladies, and they'd go on a ladies' retreat. And she'd take up 18 to 20 ladies to a cabin somewhere, and they'd have a great time. And she'd come back, and I'd say, how was it? And she'd fill me in on all that and what they did and the crazy stuff. And and I remember her saying, hey, when you go on men's retreat, you need to deal with this woman's husband because, boy, they're having a tough time. I said, gee, thanks. Maybe you should have dealt with his wife. Maybe she was the problem, you know. And she's, no, 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 there, there's, things are not good. And the funny thing was, just a few months later, I, I'd go up with the men, and I'm on my mission. Kathy sent me there to straighten things out. And so we'd sit down in devotion and say, how's everything going for you guys? I mean, how, what's the home life like? And this dude would be the first guy to say, man, everything is great. I said, really? She says, yeah. And I couldn't, you know, give away my sources. <laughs> said, great, what do you mean? He goes, man, we don't fight anymore. Uh, we don't yell at each other anymore. And he had in his mind that that meant there was peace in their home. And isn't that what most of us think when we think of peace? It's the absence of turmoil. When we think about the world, I mean, when we want world peace, what are we saying? We want there to be no war. 
Do you realize that just because things aren't bad isn't the same thing as what he's talking about with peace in the Bible? In fact, the biblical word for peace, in the, in the Hebrew, the word was shalom. We've maybe heard that in greetings, but that word peace was much more positive than it was negative. That it wasn't just the absence of something bad in our life, it was the presence of some great things in our lives. Here's what one theological dictionary says. It says it means to be safe, sound, healthy, perfect, complete. It signifies a sense of well-being with harmony both within and without. Completeness, wholeness, peace, health, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discord, a state of calm without anxiety or stress. The root meaning of shalom is to be whole or sound. And this leads to translations that speak of completeness, wholeness, well-being, welfare, and peace. Shalom also includes the idea of vigor and vitality in all dimensions of life. In short, he says, Shalom speaks of holistic or holy health for our souls and spirit. It means more than just we're not killing each other. It means things are good in here. It means things are are right in my life. That not only am I not fighting with everyone, but I just feel great here. I feel like I'm where I need to be. My relationship with God, I'm blessed by God. I'm healthy spiritually. I'm healthy emotionally. I'm where I need to be. We, we kind of miss that. Ken Hemphill was a, a pastor in Dallas for a while. He pastored after W.A. Criswell. And, and I had the opportunity one time to be in Dallas and happened to want to go see that church that W.A. Criswell had pastored. We went and Ken Hemphill happened to be preaching. He was preaching through a series on the names of God. And I'll never forget that Sunday he happened to be using the name that he was the Prince of Peace. And he used the idea of this peace that we're talking about. And he said this. He said, shalom means much more than the cessation of violence and hostility. There is a considerable difference between peace and a truce. It is glorious good news that Jehovah is peace. The idea behind the word shalom is wholeness and harmony in relationship with God. Peace is the deepest desire and the need of the human heart. When you find yourself wondering... Where is the blessing of God's presence in your life? You need to remember that he is Jehovah Shalom. He desires to bring peace, if you will, simply return to him. He's this God of peace. I read a story a few weeks ago about a time during the war and, and the soldiers on both sides were fighting fiercely and it rolled around to Christmas time and one of the soldiers in one trench said, this is ridiculous, it's Christmas. And he says, I'm going out there. And he got up and they thought he was crazy, but he got up and and he just slowly started talking and yelling to the other side and he says, guys, it's Christmas. Let's let's have a truce. And believe it or not, the story went on to describe one by one soldiers from both sides laying their guns down and getting up and meeting in the middle and celebrating that Christmas day in the midst of a war together and singing hymns and carols and talking about Christ. And this is the peace that I think God wants us to experience, that in the midst of whatever's going on in our life, that we have this wholeness, this rightness with God. 
like the joy that we described and the happiness and the beatitudes that is not dependent on what's going on around us, this peace that he describes is the same way. We have peace experienced in our life. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we get this peace? It is through our relationship with Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2, the Apostle paints a vivid picture of what our life was like before Christ and after Christ. In the first several verses, he talks about us being dead in our sins and trespasses. He talks about us being children of wrath and children of disobedience. He says that we walked according to the course of this world. That even when we lived our life and we thought we were living it by our own rules, by our own guidelines, he said we were almost like trains on a track. That we we didn't really have control over what we were doing. We were just going according to the course. We were stuck in a rut, if you will. I remember going to Disneyland as children, and one of my favorite rides at Disneyland was those utopian cars. Remember the cars you get in and the steering wheels? I remember me and my brother getting them things, and man, we thought we were driving. I mean, you had a gas pedal, and you had a steering wheel, and life was great, wasn't it? And as you got a little older, you began to discover that you could just spin the wheel, and you weren't ever going to get off that track. (laughs) And it just ruined it, didn't it? And you know what? For some of us, that's the way we've lived our lives. We thought we were really in control of things, but in reality, we were just in a rut, weren't we? The mess we were in, it just continued no matter what we did. It's only in Christ that we really discover true peace and true freedom. In Ephesians 2, he ends that passage by saying this, but now in Christ Jesus, who who you once were far off, though you once were far off, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The only way that we have this peace that is beyond anything this world understands is through Jesus Christ. That he came and he made it so that we can have this right relationship with God. And not only did he give us this relationship, but Paul points out in Corinthians that he gave us a ministry. You ever gone to church and watched people do the things they do in, in, in ministry? You watch the junior church workers working with kids, and you watch the, the, the Sunday school teachers and all that they do, and maybe you watch the praise team, and you just watch everybody doing their thing, and, and maybe you thought, well, what is my job? What do I do? I've got good news for you. You're in the ministry. Whether you realize it or not, Christ gave us all a ministry. In Corinthians, he describes that. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And aren't you glad we're new people in Christ Jesus? All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Catch what's going on there. He said that Christ came and he reconciled. He allowed us to be in this right relationship with God. He was a peacemaker. And then not only did he put us in this right relationship with God, but it says he gave us a ministry of going out and encouraging others. 
to find this right relationship with God. He uses the term, we're ambassadors, and boy, that makes you feel kind of important, doesn't it? But he gives us a message of reconciliation, and that is Christ. But in essence, what he's saying is when we leave this church, our biggest desire and our biggest goal in life and our ministry in life should be to find folks and say, listen, you can have a right relationship with God. You can be made right with God. You can have peace in your life. Because after all, the absence of peace really is the absence of Christ, isn't it? We have this ministry. And it is important that we live this peace out in our lives. Romans 12, 18 says, If if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Since I have this right relationship with God and I've got this ministry to to reach others and move them into that right, right relationship with God, it is so important that I live that way. And if at all possible, I should live at peace with everyone else. Some of us are sitting there saying, man, that's going to be a tough one. But here's the escape clause there. He says, as much as is possible with you. There's going to be some folks that you're going to go to and, and they're not going to want anything to do with what you have. But as much as depends on you, you live at peace with You live at peace with them. And Philippians 4 assures us that this peace that Christ gives us keeps us, sustains us. You ever feel like you're just stretched to your limits? I mean, you just feel like one more thing. I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose it. Or one more thing and I'm just going to throw the white towel up and I'm going to surrender and give in. This peace keeps us going. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, when we do these things, when we just keep this positive spirit, when we rejoice like we're supposed to, when we live like we're supposed to, he says, let your reasonableness be known to all men. And when we pray like we're supposed to, turning things over to God rather than stressing on them ourselves, he says, when we've done this, he says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I live for God. And I pray, and I do what I'm supposed to. And he says, when I'm doing these things, the peace of God takes over. And it protects me, and it keeps me going. No matter how tough things get, when we know God is on our side, when we know that his hand is upon us, just the peace of knowing that can keep us going. There are times, aren't there, when we question what's going on. You ever had those moments in life when you said, man, we're, we're talking about peace and I just don't see it anywhere. There's no peace at work, no peace at home, there's no peace in this world. I mean, look at the world that we live in today. Wars everywhere and wars of words and wars with weapons and all kinds of things going on. What, what, where is the peace the Bible talks about? If Christ came to bring peace on earth, where is it? One of the great hymns 
Christmas time. It was written by an American poet named Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. You've probably heard that name. And on Christmas Day, 1863, in the midst of the Civil War, he penned the words to one of the most beautiful poems ever written for Christmas. He wanted to capture the joys of the season, and he wrote these words, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Those are beautiful words, aren't they? But for Longfellow, he was now in his third year of being a widow. His wife had died in a, in a horrific accident. And then he had just gotten news probably 24 days before this, I think it was December 1st, that his son had been severely injured. He thought perhaps dead, although his son went on to live, but had been severely injured and was recovering from a bullet wound in the Civil War. And as he looked out his window, he saw the clouds and the smoke and all that was going on. And he said, how can I write about peace on earth, goodwill toward men, in a war-torn country where brothers fight against brother and father against son? But he kept on writing, and he wrote this in the next verse. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for fate or hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Then, he says, pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. There may be times in our lives when we look around us and we see nothing but darkness and nothing but turmoil. But rest assured, there is peace on earth through Jesus Christ. And wrong shall fail, and right shall shall prevail. Remember Jesus in the boat one day? He had gone down to take a nap in the ship, and as the disciples were up on top, there was a storm that rose. And they began to be fearful. They began to throw things overboard. And finally, one of them got the idea, let's wake Jesus up. And isn't that like us? A lot of times, things get rough in life, and it's like the last thing we think of is, hey, maybe we should pray. It says, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. Christ is the great peacemaker. No matter what's going on in our lives, he can bring us into a place of peace. And he has called us to that peace, every one of us. And this morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the very thing he wants from you, I mean, the world will tell you, oh, he wants this from you. And the, the very thing he wants from you is to take your hand and place it in the hand of the fathers and reconcile you and a God who loves you so much that he sent Jesus to be your Savior. He's the great peacemaker.